What is going on, everybody? Happy Thursday. Welcome to the Thinking Grow Rich Mindset. We're on episode number 12. Today, we're talking about the subconscious mind, which is actually step 11 in the 13 steps to riches in our Thinking Grow Rich Mindset series. Uh, today's an awesome one. It is, uh, I think it's one of all of our favorite topics, is talking about unconscious uh, versus conscious, talking about uh, things that we're aware of versus things we're not aware of, living by default rather than by design. And so, this one is, is a really fun one today, and we're excited to jump in here. And so before we dive in today, I'm going to let my co-host introduce themselves and tell you why you should be listening to us today. So uh, John, why don't you start us out today? Who are you, my friend? My name is John Bodnar, and I'm a coach over at BSB Wealthy Body Coaching. My mission, you could say, is to help people make better decisions themselves. As someone who in the past has struggled to make good decisions despite knowing what the right decision is, it's... I feel very privileged to be able to share how to do that with other people. And, so, and that's actually a big part of what we're talking about today. It all comes down to the subconscious and I'm excited to chat about it. Yeah, buddy. All right. And Mr. Tim, who are you, my friend? What's going on, guys? My name is Coach Tim, coach with BSB Wealthy Body Coaching, um, self-proclaimed meathead. I love picking heavy things up, setting them back down many times, um, as well as self-proclaimed nerd. So I really love the science of all how, how this whole thing works. Um, but really my calling, my passion, what wakes me up and drives me every single morning is, is really serving, really helping people manifest the best, strongest version of themselves. So that comes to nutrition, exercise, lifestyle, routine, but even the way that we treat ourselves and think about ourselves, which is a perfect um, segue into what we're talking about today. So um, yeah, that's me. And I think y'all should listen to us because we have pretty good ideas. <laughs> All right, let's go dive into the subconscious mind. So uh, let's start us out here. So the subconscious mind consists of a field of consciousness in which every impulsive thought that reaches the objective mind through any of the five senses is classified and recorded and from which thought may be recorded or withdrawn from. So you may voluntarily plant in your subconscious mind any plan, thought, or purpose which you desire to translate to its physical or monetary equivalent. The subconscious mind acts first on its dominant desires, which has been mixed with emotional feeling, such as faith. So I'll kind of start us out today on this one here. And so basically the gist of the subconscious mind is um, what I found is like things that are not are like inside the other limitless book that we did a whole other series on. Uh, John, you might know this stat better than I would actually. What was the stat that how much our, our mind, our subconscious mind takes in versus our conscious mind? Oh, I, I, I might butcher it. I think Tim might know, but it's it's like 20 million bits of data per unit of time. I don't know which one is for the subconscious mind compared to like 2000 for the conscious mind. Yeah, so quite so a it's, we're looking at 10,000 times more into the, into the subconscious mind. Yeah. And so I think the, I think the cool part about this slide that, that really catches my eye is understanding that we can actually plant subconsciously things into our, right? we can, we can, we can actually plant things into our, our, our subconscious mind. Um, so, while we don't have control over all of our thoughts, we can start to like put things in there. So we do create subconscious thoughts about what we're, basically we're just trying to control our subconscious mind. That's essentially what I'm trying to say here. Um, but with that being said, Tim, I'll show you, what do you see when you see the slide? So I, I like the fact that it's gonna define what we're talking about here first, yeah. uh, but then also give kind of a segue into what we're gonna be going through today. Um, so right off the bat, subconscious, Another word for that is unconscious. In psychology, they call it your unconscious mind, um, but they're one and the same. They're synonymous with one, each other, one another. And um, the way that I kind of think of that is it's like twofold. So 
you guys have all seen like the iceberg analogy, right? Like you have like this little tip sitting above iceberg, but then there's this massive like block below the water and the Titanic hits it and obviously everybody dies. Um, regardless, that's kind of the way our, our brain is set up. Um, and from an evolutionary standpoint, you know, the vast majority of our um, mind is made up of our unconscious brain, right? So it, it's going to regulate things like breathing, heart rates, digestion, a lot of these things that if we were to like have to consciously tell our heart to beat, you know, 65 times a minute, like we would have no time for anything else. Um, so it's kind of an evolutionary uh, adaptation that, that our species has made just to make us so we're able to, to survive. Um, and that's just from an autonomic standpoint. But also if we think about the amount, the massive amount of information that comes in every single day, like you right now, John, or you like right now, Logan, like there is thousands, if not millions of input data coming into your brain at any one time. And like similar to like, if we had to tell our heart to breathe or to, to beat, if we had to con conceptualize and process all of this information logically or consciously, we would freak out. Like we would have no ability to, to function. So kind of like the analogy that I like to use or the, the reference I like to use is, have you guys ever watched that movie, Bruce Almighty? Yes. So there's that scene where Jim Carrey, you know, Morgan Freeman gives him the power of God. And, and now he, he's in a restaurant with his wife and all of a sudden he starts hearing everybody's thoughts and prayers. And he just like starts yelling at everybody because it's just like too much coming in at one time and eventually gets on the computer and he develops like an email this and just his respond yes to everybody because he can't deal with all the input. That's kind of how our unconscious mind would be if we had to consciously think about every single thing that was coming in. So it's, it's actually an evolutionary adaptation that we've had that's an advantage for us to be able to automatically synthesize and process this information and really cue up the things that are more important, right? Like our, I'm trying to think what the actual term is, but Tony Robbins talks about it a lot. Um, it's a psychological term, like when you get a brand new car, all of a sudden you notice that new car everywhere. Like those cars were there the whole time. It just became important to you now. So now your brain is like uh, turned onto it. So I think full circle, when we're planting seeds into our unconscious mind, we do that consciously, but then it perturbates into our unconscious mind. And then it's operating in the background all the time, similar to like the car that you just bought that you now notice everywhere else. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that's kind of what I see just from like a scientific standpoint on, on the slide. That's awesome. Uh, John, any follow up to that? Yeah. So you guys covered the first 70. 5% uh, of the slide. So I'm going to go into subconscious mind X first on its dominating desires, which that's really the meat of it all. It's like, okay, how do we use our subconscious to our advantage? Because we basically have the supercomputer back here that's doing all this stuff. So how do we, number one, make sure we get to use it. Number two, make sure that it's not being to our detriment, which in a lot of ways it does and can. And that's where we need to have the willingness and the understanding of how to change our subconscious beliefs and desires. So that way our conscious mind acts accordingly with those. So this part where it says, you know, uh, dominating desires, which have been mixed with emotional feelings such as faith, that also goes into emotional feelings such as um, well, rage, right? Self, self deprivation, these things that can also manifest themselves into the real conscious mind too. So we need to be careful with what we're allowing into our subconscious mind because we do have some element of control over that which if you watch your Limitless series, you understand a lot of how to do that or, or understand well how to do that. Yeah, it's awesome. 
All right, so let's go into, this was something I alluded to earlier, but you cannot control your subconscious mind entirely, but you can't voluntarily hand over to it any plan, desire, purpose, which you wish transformed into concrete form. And the possibilities of creative effort connected with the subconscious mind are stupendous and are supposed to be in, imponderable. Um, and so basically what I see when I see this slide is that like the things that you put in front of you and like, I think about this a lot with like doing mantras, doing beliefs, these are the things that if you continue to put these in front of you, continue to say them, you continue to um, basically act as if all of a sudden they can be something that turned into concrete form, you know? You're somebody maybe your whole life where you haven't like it's it's hard for you to see that you are worthy right because the only things you're thinking of are all negative things that have happened in your life but if you continue to tell yourself that you are worthy that you are capable and that you're worth it and all of a sudden your brain starts to look for those stories those perceptions in your life where you're, you're like oh you know what in this situation i can see how that you know i can see how i was worthy or in this situation you know i did i definitely did show up and you continue to find more evidence evidence of this being true and all of a sudden it becomes a belief. It becomes something that you start to identify as. And that's kind of the cool part of the subconscious mind is that you can put these things out there. And in, in the beginning, you might seem like they're not, they might seem incongruent. There's no, there's no proof, there's no evidence out there that you are this thing, right? That, that you are a healthy person, that you are, you are successful, that you are, uh, that, that you're wealthy, that you're happy, that you're, that you're, that you bring amazing energy, right? Maybe you don't see that energy at first, as you start to say it more and more, you start to find opportunities because your because your subconscious mind looks for opportunities for you to be somebody who shows up with good energy, for you to be a wealthy person, for you to act as if. And I think that's like the really like powerful piece of the subconscious mind is that you literally can, and I don't like to use the word trick, but you can literally convince yourself that you are um, up here, and then all of a sudden you start to materialize it out here. So, I'd say uh, I'd say you're not tricking it; you're conditioning yourself. Conditioning yourself, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, John, if you want to go ahead and if you want to keep rolling on that, by all means. And it's actually kind of amazing that that we talked about um, in our huddle this morning. We talked about how to give borrowed belief to people and how to actually help with this part of the process of like, oh, I can do it. And so, more so than talking about the process, I want to talk about what happens if you let's use weight loss. If you don't believe that you are capable of losing fifty pounds, are you ever going to put in the work necessary? doesn't make sense. If you don't think it's going to work, why would you do it? So this is, this is where it's super important to say, I can do this. I'm capable of doing it. You make the commitment to do it. And then your subconscious starts to look for the how your conscious starts to look for the how as well. But when your subconscious is in alignment, alignment with it, where you know that it's possible that you're going to do it, then it becomes inevitable. But going again, going back to, if you don't believe that it's possible, it's never going to happen because you're unwilling to put in the work, which is logical. So the subconscious mind is very emotional, but it's also logical. Why would I do something that isn't going to work? Why wouldn't I do something that is going to work that gets me to where I want? So you just need to be really careful again with what your subconscious mind is aligned with. So that way you can get what you actually want in life. Because we are the sum of our unconscious and our subconscious, our actions are. So if you're, but your unconscious is a big part of that. You know, the 20 million versus 2000 type of deal. Yeah. That's awesome. Kind of beating dead horse, but. It matters. Pay attention to it. Tim, your thoughts. So I'm going to come at this from a, a little bit different of an angle. So the way I see the, the unconscious mind is it's, it's data collection, right? So in the example of, you know, I can't believe it. Therefore I won't be able to do it. 
really what we're doing is we're conditioning our brain to see evidence of why we can't do it. Mm-hmm. But the evidence is, is there regardless on both sides of the fence. So if you, you take someone who's, let's say, not very consistent with their nutrition and they've told themselves, I'm not consistent. They believe they're not consistent. Their unconscious mind is, is constantly scanning all of this data for evidence of why they're not consistent. Because one of the cognitive biases that, that exists is the cognitive bias of congruity. Like we need to be congruent with ourselves, right? So if we say I'm un- inconsistent, our brain is looking for evidence of why that's true. Conversely, if we say we are consistent and we believe that we are consistent, the same data exists, but now our brain is scanning for ways that we are consistent. And we, we always strive to be congruent with what we believe in ourselves. Um, so I don't think the data really changes. I think that our brain is just uh, synthesizing and filtering this information and showing us exactly what we believe. So I, I kind of think of this as like, you know, you have your, your hardware, your software, and then you have the effects. Like, so if we can code, you know, John was very like, he's probably the, the tech guy out of all of us, but like you code a computer to do something. So our unconscious brain is kind of like the software. Um, and, and like, let's say we're coding ourselves to be consistent. Then the outcome is we are then going to become uh, incrementally more consistent. Uh, same with money. Like I save money, I earn money. Like our brain is searching for evidence of how we do that in our current life. And then looking to add to that congruity um, of, of, of earning and saving more money. So that's kind of how I see it. In an extreme example, I don't know if you guys are familiar with uh, Wim Hof. So this is actually like science has proved this shit. Like this is, this is real like data. So Wim Hof, if you don't know who he is, he's a very eccentric guy, but um, they call him the Iceman. They did a documentary on him. He's, he's amazing. So he's so in tune with his unconscious mind or that programming, so to speak. He's been doing it for his whole life um, that he claimed that he could, he could literally fight off disease without any type of medication. So most of, most people would hear that and be like, that's BS. Well, Harvard took him in and actually ran a test on him. They injected him with this massive dose of an endotoxin. And within three to five minutes, he was able, he would see the antibody spike, the viral load spike, no medication at all, came back down within five minutes. No symptoms at all. So obviously they retested it, they retested it. Um, and it's found a whole like series of research of the automatic or the autonomic nervous system which literally is our branch to our, our uh, immune system. Um, it's what goes on internally. Our immune system is not something that we consciously think of. And there is a direct correlation or direct effect of our belief system and to how our body responds to viral load. And this was further studied on the opposite side. They took a test group. One, they told both these groups, they had a control group and they had the, the real group that they were going to burn them with, with a hot stick. And so they, they told them it was going to happen. They prepared for the pain. They knew it was going to happen. And what they did was they actually took a pen and they touched them with a pen. And the group that believed that they were going to get burned actually developed a blister and a welt mm. from the pen. The pen was a normal temperature. And that shows you, and there's no scientific, like the mechanism behind that, we have no idea. We just know that the power of uh, what, what is the word they use? It's not persuasion, but it's like basically when you get hypnotized. Um, suggestion? Yes, power suggestion. Is that strong because they believed they were going to be burned. They actually got a blister from the pen. And this is, this 
it's in, in medical medical studies. So like you can look it up. It's peer reviewed. Like it's crazy. So like that's kind of what the way I think about it. And then that's also like two scientific examples of like, yeah, it sounds woo-woo, but this is real. Like this is it's a real thing. Which is which is funny because I think that thing I like to touch on what with what you guys said is that it is real, whether you want to realize it or not. And I think by default, um, we don't think about that stuff. Like most people don't. And so they just they just live life like like they just live. Uh, but until you, until you start to like focus on what you want, usually positives, is by default our our our, our instinct is to be negative, is to look for the negatives because we're built to survive. Like we're, like like we are animals. We're animal, our animal instincts keep us alive. So it looks for it looks for um, areas of of um, that could harm us and hurt us. And back in the day, it was actually like actual death, and now it's become more just like emotional hurt and harm. And so if we can understand that from a default standpoint, like if we don't do anything about it, our default is gonna scan for negative. Uh, but if we actually choose to live life by design and we choose to be a conscious creator, then we can start to put the thoughts and the beliefs in our mind that do serve us and that do give us what we want. All right. Um, and so there's basically, so we're gonna do seven positive major emotions and then we'll flip it and do seven positive or seven major negative emotions. And so when it comes to subconscious mind, this was inside the book, I didn't put this inside the slides, but essentially like how we take action is really based on emotion, right? Like why we do anything is really based on emotion. Um, and so why we do anything is like we move towards motivation or we can move away from motivation. So we're talking about the towards motivation first. And so the seven, the seven major positive emotions are the emotion of desire, the emotion of faith, the emotion of love, the emotion of sex, the emotion of enthusiasm, the emotion of romance, and the emotion of hope. And so these are all very powerful um, emotions and these are the things that lead us to like why we do what we do like why we wake up why we why we get married why we go to work why we want to live life we want to is all based on one of these seven um, core desires or excuse me core emotions so so that being said uh, Tim like when you see that these like this like 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 name or not name but like when you see this list of positive emotions and it being something that really drives action like what's the thing that sticks out to you the most? Is it a specific a specific emotion or is it all in together or, or what do you see? So, yeah, I, I honestly think that all of these are inexorably tied. Um, like if you have romance behind that's probably some desire, um, probably some hope, right? Um, and you generally are enthusiastic about the romance, uh, sex is involved, love's involved. Like yeah. I think I think they're all like really hard to separate from one another because I think they all need each other to be positive emotions. Um, but like a personal anecdote of where this is like very true is okay. So like I was, I was married a while ago. Um, I'm divorced currently. And one of the complaints I got was like, I was very focused on myself, very, very uh, driven. Um, and I didn't do a lot of romantic stuff. Like I wasn't like a, a mushy gushy guy, um, which if y'all know me, like that's not the case at all. Um, it was really just governed by these emotions. Well, I got into another relationship after I got divorced and um, the specific thing I like, I was head over heels, like just, you know, little kid crush, whatever, um, super gooey. And uh, that my girlfriend at the time was out of town. She worked out of town a lot and uh, she'd been working on her backyard for like two or three years and just doing a little bit here and there. And it was, you know, a lot of hard manual labor that she didn't know how to do, like from grading the, 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 the ground to putting down pavers, sod, like in this one week and she was gone, I knew she was gonna be gone for like 14 days. So I went over to her house without her knowing. And I, 
I just did it all. I spent like 40 hours, like just busting my ass, like after work, before work, weekends, like I was outside, just like, it was like terrible dirt, full of rocks. I had to get a jackhammer and like get big boulders out of the way. I had no idea how to lay sod. So I had to like research how to lay sod. I bought the sod. I did all this crazy stuff. And she got home and like made a big deal out of it. I literally like had like, she was gone for 14 days. I had 14 cars, like cards laid out like in sequence to lead her to the backyard and, and like with roses and like all of this mushy gushy stuff. Right. And if you would have told my ex, this, my ex-wife, she would have been like, that's not, that's not, that was not him. That was not him at all. Um, however, it totally was right. But the main difference was, was these, these positive emotions, but more that unconscious mind that was driving all of that action, right? So the programming was there, therefore the, the computer did the thing that the programming told it to do. So that's an example from my life of how these like actually play themselves out in two awesome. very separate ways. Awesome, that's a great story too. Uh, John, what are your thoughts when you see this slide? My first thought was looking through this like, okay, which one, which one leads to the others? So. Tim kind of beat me to that because the, the answer is they all do lead to each other. Mm -hmm. But the one that stands out to me the most, honestly, is desire because without desire, you don't have any of the other ones. So I do believe that desire is at the top for a reason. Mm -hmm. Because when you want something, that is going to drive you to get it. Because if you don't want something, well, you're not going to go get it. That doesn't even make sense. Well, depending depend on, on where your subconscious mind is focused, right? Yeah. Um, but because when you have desire, it frees you up to have faith in that desire that is possible. Gives you, you know, if you desire your, your loved one, you're going to love them more. You know, if you desire sex, of course, enthusiasm around that desire. I just, I feel that without desire, the others are meaningless and not necessarily the other way around for the other ones, but they are all tied in. They are all, all very important as well. Yeah. I, I think we talked about that maybe last week too, or maybe it was the desire or the chapter on desire, but I think, I think having that desire is is fundamentally one of the most important pieces to wanting anything. Because again, it's like if you don't want something, then the rest of them, like like if you don't want to be a personal trainer, then you don't need to put faith in being a personal trainer. You know, and I think it, I think ultimately that is the key of the emotions. I think it's the it's the big domino, and the rest of them all fall in line. But let's talk about the second the seven major negative emotions that drive action. Um, so we have fear, jealousy, hatred, revenge, greed, superstition, and anger. So all these are major triggers that I know we've all experienced. Um, and, you know, I think ultimately a lot of our, our, our reactions are based on one of these four emotions, right? Anytime somebody says something that makes us mad or, uh, or, or sudden we, we get scared, right? We get fear, we get, we get greedy, whatever it may be. Like these are all what I, what I would consider like natural reactions. Um, and being able to understand that they are natural reactions, but they don't need to dictate your response, I think is one of the fundamental pieces that I see when I see this list. Um, because I think ultimately we've all felt these things, we've all had these emotions and we don't necessarily like them. Uh, but we're like, why, like, why, why am I having this? So it's almost like you have to like rationalize yourself. Like, why am I feeling jealous right now? Why am I feeling angry at this person? Um, you know, like, why am I feeling vengeful? And it's like, I know it's not a good feeling, but why am I feeling it? And that's what I see is like, I think it's natural. Again, like it's a natural feeling. It's a natural emotion. Uh, and I think most people react out of fear. They, they continue to react from jealousy, hatred, revenge, and greed. But you can control your response. And having that and 
equating that distance between an emotion and your response, I think, is really the key to you living a conscious life and being a conscious creator and saying, you know what, I'm just someone who gets, who gets super angry. I just can't control my anger, which I know and Tim has talked about. And I've definitely had that issue before where I thought I couldn't control my anger. So, you know, so I showed it, you know, I punched holes in the walls. I, I yelled at people, I screamed at people, I cursed people out. Um, and I thought that was just a reaction I couldn't control. But all that needed to happen was there needed to be a, a space. There needed to be some time, there needed some distance between when that emotion, when I felt that emotion versus when I actually made a, a, a true response. So, um, John, what do you see? When, let me see the slide. What comes to mind for you? So this is actually something that is relevant to the other day. So my wife and I had a very emotional, challenging conversation. And I started to feel, well, all of those pretty much, except for jealousy, I guess. But Well, not all of them, never mind. But fear and anger and, and superstition even to some extent. And when, I, when we finished the conversation, you know, I, I wasn't feeling the, that way towards her, but just around the situation in general, I was just really angry and afraid. And... I was alone and my my first thought was to you know smack a pillow on the bed or just like you know, yell or punch something which i've done before especially in my teenage years i did it a lot and i literally i had the i actually had the conscious thought of that's way too much energy <laughs> and after after i didn't uh, react that way i just i actually did kind of smile and laugh to myself i'm like yeah that would just be way too hard it's not even worth it and it just goes to show that you know, I've, I've done a lot of work for my subconscious mind to not allow these emotions to dictate how I behave, even though I recognize that they're there, never going to go away completely. And that's okay. But I don't allow them to, to change how I actually behave based on how, or compared to how I want to behave. So in the end, what I just kind of stood there, kind of felt stupid, not, not in a bad way, just like, oh, that was, that was almost dumb. And then I just walked away and it was fine. So the point is that you do have control over how you respond to things. And that's something we've talked about a lot before, but don't expect these to go away. And I'd argue that they shouldn't go away because they, they are, when you, when you're able to control these things or control how you respond to these things, it's just proof that you are a master of your subconscious. It doesn't mean to be a master of your subconscious doesn't mean that you're never afraid. Bravery requires fear. Courage and bravery both require require fear. If you're just like, oh, I, I go fight the dragon and I don't and I'm not afraid, like you're probably kind of an idiot. But if you're like, dang, I'm really afraid of this dragon, but I'm going to go do it anyway. That's where courage is. That's where bravery comes from. So true. All right, Tim, we got a couple more. We, we got like, like a minute, minute and a half left. So so finish this out. When you see these emotions, what do you see, my friend? So I agree with everything that John said. Um, I think the danger here is yes, they're they're real. They always will exist is letting them drive you. Mm. So both of the sides of this coin, the seven positive negative or major emotions, seven negative emotions, they can both become, you can become a singularly focused human being and these can literally drive your entire life. Um, and we've all met people that even in the fitness industry, right? It's, it's, we're rot, it's rot with this, right? Like people that exercise like fiends that eat orthorexically like every gram is measured but they don't do it because they love fitness they love um you know treating their body well they do it because they're afraid of being fat or they hate themselves so they almost do it out of punishment and it develops this really really poor relationship with food and with exercise and that's kind of when you slip down that slope of 
anorexia, bulimia, like these major disorders. Same with money. Like a, a lot of successful people have a driver of I'm not good enough and I need to prove to myself and the world that I'm good enough. The problem is that hamster will never ends. Like you'll, you'll make a million dollars and guess what? Someone else has two. So now you have to get 2 million and I have to get four. And before you know it, you're Jeff Bezos and you're still not good enough. Right. So I, I, this is like probably one of the most fundamental changes that I've made in my psychology over the last 12 to 18 months is I was this person. I worked out religiously, ate perfectly, um, was contorting my body to be a bodybuilder, not because I loved bodybuilding per se, but because I was a fat kid. And no matter when I looked in the mirror, I always saw that fat kid. And I would tell myself, you can be confident in your body when dot, dot, dot. You can be happy when you can be deserving. You can celebrate. You can be appreciative. You can be grateful when, and then yes, it drove me. I woke up every morning. I did all the things, all the things always, but I never was satisfied, never was happy. There was no joy. There was no pleasure. There was no contentment in my walk, in my day to day. But the major transformation is now I do all of these things because I love the process. And just like Logan with his children, right? You're going to do what's best for your children, right? You're, you're going to make sure they eat the best food, they exercise, they don't consume garbage through like social media and television. Like you're protecting them, but you're also doing, but not because they're not good, not because you don't love them right now. Like you love them right now. You do it because you love them, not because you need them to do it so that you will love them. Mm-hmm. It's exactly what I went through that paradoxical shifts of like, no, like I eat healthy, I train, I do this because you know what? I love myself. And that's how you treat somebody that you love. Like you treat them the best. And and the difference between, and honestly, I was scared that if I made this transition, that I would lose that edge that got me out of the bed in the morning that, that pushed me. Well, yes, that's a super powerful motivator, but love and gratitude, infinitely more powerful. And you get a smile the whole way through the process. And really, I don't even see like, an end in sight like Mm -hmm. as with fear side you always feel like this how long can i do this for how long can i can i keep this up there's a point inevitable point where i'm going to burn out and i'll probably be that person that fall off a cliff and just literally gains 200 pounds and is like super unhealthy because i'm just over it but when you're doing out of love and gratitude you it's not even about like the outcome it's literally just doing what your body needs and what what is best for your body because you love your body and it's just been like the most ground shifting like change in the way i've thought over the last 12 to 16 months so that's kind of what i want to leave everybody with is they're both drivers but really we want the positive ones to be the driver not the negative ones yeah oh yeah and so what i saw from that is really there's two components right there's two components and that's like we can think scarcity where we can live abundantly and if we do scarcity there's almost so much we can shrink you know, but with abundance, love, you know, uh, like it's infinite, which means that always, you can always find a way to love more. There's always, there's always more to give. Um, and so I think that's really powerful. And then the second piece is talking about the mind. This is something that, that uh, Tony Robbins talks a lot about is like, it's the mind, it's the body, right? These feelings we have, these thoughts we have, like they're not Tim's thoughts, they're not John's thoughts, they're not Logan's thoughts, they're just the mind's thoughts. They're just the body's feelings. Like these, like, like these emotions, we've all felt them. They're not your emotions, John. Like when you feel anger, that's not John. It's not John's anger. That's anger. When you're able to separate these emotions, 
from your identity, you're able to just accept them and understand that they, they do not drive you, just like Tim said, and you, and you actually can make a response. Even when you feel fear, jealousy, hatred, revenge, grief, superstition, anger, that does not define you as a human being. Like, that's just an emotion that your body is, is like, that's a signal because, I mean, there's a signal there for a reason, but it doesn't mean that's how you have to respond. And I think it's really powerful to understand that like, they're not your feelings. They're not your thoughts. They're the mind's thoughts. They're, they're the body's feelings. You can control your actions. That, that makes a difference between who Tim is, who John is, who Logan is, is in our, in our response, not in our feelings. So anyway, that's what I want to leave it on today. So <laughs> happy, uh, happy Thursday, John, Tim. Thank you for hopping on here. We'll be back next week. Step 12 in the 13 steps riches. Let's go. we got two more episodes left. So thank you guys for hopping on. We'll chat to you guys soon. Bye. See ya. Bye.